Good morning, Rachel, and welcome to Zenonco.io and Love Heals Cancer. And uh, we are so happy to have you as part of our uh, series where we introduce caregivers and uh, patients to each other, where we connect people with each other who have gone through this journey of cancer and related to it. So, well, thank you. Thank you for having yeah. me here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So I'll uh, start with a brief introduction of uh, Zenonco and what we do. So okay. at zenonco.io and Love Heals Cancer, we guide cancer patients on adopting an integrative oncology treatment approach. We help them find balance between medical treatment and complementary treatment approaches. We help the patients and caregivers with our team of oncologists, nutritionists, lab experts, and other healthcare professionals so that we can improve the treatment outcome for patients. We also help in connecting patients with other cancer givers who have gone through this journey to address their queries. And we also share inspirational journeys like yours to motivate other cancer warriors or other caregivers who are going through this journey currently. So mm-hmm. could you please introduce yourself uh, so that everyone knows who you are? And- yes, yes. My name is Rachel Ingstrom. I live in, Minis- in around Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I am 38 and when I was 28, a couple months from being 29, my 35 year old husband, Grayson was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia and he lived two years and three months with that. And I was very blessed to have my parents help with caregiving and different things like that. They actually, I'm originally from Michigan. They came to, um, they took shifts living with us and taking care of him. And he had a bone marrow transplant. And then um, just all the side effects of that really hurt his body in the end. And he, um, he ended up dying at the age of 37 and actually today on Halloween would be his 45th birthday. So it's, it's kind of interesting because he's always going to be 37 to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is kind of, yes. So, so first I'd like to know about the journey and also could you tell us how it all started? The first signs that you notice in kind of symptoms and how did you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what happened is he felt like um he felt like he uh had the flu i found him he worked nights and he um i like got up to go to the bathroom and at like two in the morning i found him sitting on the floor in our kitchen and he was waiting for something to heat in the microwave and he was so tired he couldn't even stand up those like 60 seconds or so um so i went to i gave him kind of the business card of my um, primary doctor because he didn't have one at the time and he went to see her and then I at the time had a job as a um, doing activities with mentally ill clients at a um, assisted living and I was helping people on a shopping trip get back into the car and my phone buzzed and I got a text from him that said I need to get a bone or I need to get a blood transfusion and I thought well that's kind of not normal Um, so it turned out, they just thought that he was anemic, that he needed, you know, more iron and he went in the next day and we, he had four bags of blood. It took, um, a couple different, couple different, um, hours to do that. And then just as we were about to leave, they said, hang on, wait, we're talking to your doctor. And they sent us to 
they said, you need to go to the Humphrey Center. They didn't let us know it was the Humphrey Cancer Center. So then we went there. We sat about 20 minutes, kind of trying not to freak out, waiting for the doctor to come in. And they misdiagnosed him with TTP. I didn't have all the thrombonic something. It was where he would have had to have his blood cleaned, filtered in and out. And we thought, oh, well, you know, this this sucks, but it's doable. Um, yeah. And then they called us an hour or so later after we got home and said, actually, you know, we misdiagnosed you. We need you to come in for a bone marrow transplant tomorrow. And I just, I could just, I knew, I didn't think it was for sure cancer, um, but I knew it, what, whatever it was, it wasn't good. Um, so then the next day he had a bone marrow transplant. And as he was kind of, he, you know, he had anesthesia and he was out, I was talking to the medical staff that were doing that procedure and asked him about it. And I just knew I could feel it in my bones that he was sick. Um, so then we had to do, um, before we could admit him in the hospital, well, he was admitted in the hospital at one hospital. And then they said, you know, is this where you want to be treated? And we decided we wanted him to be treated at the university of Minnesota so we're just trying to wrap our heads around the fact that he has cancer, um, that he ha- he's diagnosed with leukemia. And then they said, we need you to do cryogenics. We need to store your sperm because you might become sterile. And we're like, what? We have to go do that as well. Um, so we went uh-huh. and did that and then um, admitted him to the hospital. And he was there for five weeks for the first part of chemo. And he was offered a clinical trial. Um, so he was a part of that. And then he, you know, I didn't know very much about anything about cancer. Um, I was 28, the first person that I knew in my circle of family, friends, people like that going through that. So my background is in social work. I have my master's in social work. And so I just spent hours and hours and hours online researching, trying to find extra, um, you know, funding, gas cards, whatever I could um, outside of the medical information and doing that, but whatever resources I could. Um, and it's amazing just since, so he was diagnosed in 2011. And just since then, how many more organizations are out there um, that are created every year? And since he died in 2013, you know, finding the grief and loss stuff, there's so much more these days. So he ended up getting a lot better. Um, and then in, so he was diagnosed January, 2011. And then in August of 2012, he relapsed and we admitted him again to the hospital on our eighth wedding anniversary. <laughs> um, and then he had to have his body prepared many, many times with chemo that wasn't working for the bone marrow transplant. And then he had that in January of 2013. And then he was one of like 50 or 60 people to get what I call this like space age radiation for leukemia. That was a new thing um, for blood cancers, I should say. And just all the radiation and all the chemo tore apart his body. So the blood, the bone marrow transplant itself worked, but that was really, really difficult. Um, And he ended up just having several things fall apart, not being able to breathe and two days after I turned 31, I had to take them off life support. So it's kind of our story. And based off that, um, you know, I just jumped in. I, I didn't, 
I like, I think back on it now and I don't even know where I got all the energy (laughs) to be able to handle it all work full time, do all of that. But there were just so many amazing people that I met along the way, um, in my cancer story. And I just, I, I'm just excited to connect with, um, your organization because there are just so many positives that, you know, of course I, I lost my husband and that was tragic and hard and I had to reboot my life and it wasn't pretty and all of those different things, but I wouldn't change any of it. Of course, aside from losing him, I wouldn't change it because it's just made me a better person being part of this cancer community and knowing how much love and support and positivity there can be like he worked nights. Um, the whole time we were together, the whole eight and a half years we were together before he got sick. And this gave us, you know, two and a half years together where we actually saw each other every day and, um, you know, created a community of people. And the, I, you know, even after he died, I was like, oh, the medical staff, like all the people that I came to know and, you know, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and all of these people that they become your family and they embrace you. And it's actually, I think a lot of people don't realize how, inclusive and embracing and accepting the cancer community is out there that's it's pretty cool yeah a lot of people do not know if they should ask for help or something some people are afraid to ask for help you know when something like this happens and they like to keep it within themselves among themselves and but there's really a lot of a big group of people out there who are ready to help each other out any time of day and yeah it's really important that we yeah so I think it really helps, right? When you talk it out and when you see more people who are going through this and there are a lot of inputs coming in, right? Yeah. So I actually wrote a book, um, Wife, Widow, Now What? How to Navigate the uh, Cancer World and How You Can Too. Um, Not trying to pump it out, but it's on Amazon. And I just wanted to compile all the things that I gathered. Um, So everything from like how to navigate diagnosis, treatment, the questions to ask, all of those things, because when you are diagnosed, it's just kind of like, you just feel like you've been thrown on a treadmill or something at the highest speed. And you're like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so it it goes through all of that, the questions to ask, knowing as a caregiver, like, just keep going after those doctors. If you don't feel like they're talking about it and, you know, the medical mumbo jumbo terms, you need to have them break it down until you feel like you have all your questions answered. Um, I think it's really important to make sure that you have a support system outside of your person, outside of the patient. If you are the patient, um, you know, it's totally fine to process those things with your loved ones, but the people that are taking care of you, the spouse, significant other, um, you need to have someone else, not that patient. Cause you can't put your feelings on them, which is hard. Cause you want to share things, but, um, you don't want them to know you're scared. They might not make it or how stressful it is to have to work and drive back and forth and see them and always be like, hi, how are you? Wouldn't you want to be like, I just want to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. When they know that their caregivers are going through some shit and even they feel bad for us. Yeah. That, yeah. So I think, you know, knowing that, and in my book, I go through like when people want to know how to help you, the types of things, asking for the appropriate help, whether it's, you know, here in Minnesota, it's, can you help me shovel my driveway or mow my lawn or, 
the neighbors that lived behind us, we were so lucky because they would let our dog out or, you know, if I was in the hospital overnight or whatever, they would take the dog or feed the cats or, you know, those types of things. Or if you don't have time to go to the grocery store, here's my list. Can you pick stuff up? Or I have to work. Can you take my person, the patient to their chemotherapy appointment? Or, you know, asking for things that you really need. Because I think the toughest thing is your support network. All they want to do is make it go away and they can't. So asking them for actual tangible things that um, they can do. And then also those are helpful things that don't stress you out even more. Um, I'm not sure in India what kind of... um, databases you have or I'm not even sure if caring bridge is a global thing I think it probably is do you know what caring bridge is no I'm not sure I haven't I haven't heard about that I think yeah sure so I used it I'm sure it's global you could look it up I will look it up for you um yeah. so what it is is it's a yeah. um so in my book I use my narrative my story in actual chronological order with the CaringBridge post and then my Facebook post. So CaringBridge is actually um, a database where you can go on and do like a blog. So it's based on the patient medical stuff. Hey, they had a test this day or this is how we're feeling or what they're doing. So it's nice because it's a central place where you can put, and you know, not everybody's on Facebook. So this is a nice thing that, you know, older people or whatever that may be can utilize it and they get an update email to them and they can check it if they want. But basically you're informing, Hey, this is what's going on. And then that way you're not getting all the texts, all the emails, all the people saying, Hey, how are they doing? How are they doing? Instead, they just go to the spot to find out. Okay. So, so I to, feel like. Yeah, so like to keep the others updated about what you. Exactly. Been through, going through and, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So. That was really, really helpful for me because then that way I didn't have to be berated with people wanting to know, things like that. Also, people can comment um, like, good job, keep going, we're praying for you or whatever. And feeling that support was, you know, so my book is based on those social media posts and my story and then all my tips and advice. But being able to have that support is so meaningful. And I was watching... um, dimples video i hope i'm saying her name correctly yeah yeah, Um, yeah. her video her video on your site um about you know all the people that were there for her late husband and i had people um so i'm originally from michigan i have siblings in different that live in different states i have two sisters and a brother my parents live in a different state so i mean we had people from all over the country praying for us and thinking about us and all of those things and you know it it's so important to have everyone feel included and they know about what's going on to have that support and know that you feel like you have people that have your back that are literally behind you hugging you. Um, so I think uh, the biggest part is it's not really asking for help per se, but it's, I mean, I have times where I'm like, please, where I wrote like, please pray for us. We need it. Please keep us in your thoughts. But it's nice because you're putting it out there and knowing also it's so therapeutic just to write it. So you're not alone in it. It's not alone in your head. And I think that that's the really tough thing with cancer is, you know, millions and millions of people have it, but we still feel alone. We feel alone on our journey. We feel like it's just me. Um, 
you know, I, I have this story in my book where I needed to return something at a department store and the lady was like, and I'm all sweaty in my winter coat. And, you know, I've got all these layers on and this lady's like that worked there. Like, I'm sorry, we can't do this until tomorrow. We have a sale. And I was like, my husband's in the hospital. I don't know if he's going to live. This is the only time I can do this. And she was like, let me call my manager. (laughs) And it's just when, when you're what I call like in the fishbowl or, you know, you're on, you're on it and you have to deal with it. And you only have a short amount of time. You just feel, you really do feel like it's you against the world. Um, So having help, having organizations, having, I feel like my book is like holding your hand and, um, you know, we're having a cup of tea and I'm walking you through my story and I'm excited because there really is nothing out there like this book. I of course have organizations in the United States, not in India that can help with financing and things like that. I have a couple pages of that, but I mean, even there's probably some similar suggestions of organizations you have there, but all of it's applicable because I walk through like finances, like if your person's sick now and they can't work, or if you're the patient and you can't work, how you probably have to reformat your budget of paying for all of those things. I have anything from, you know, your um, utilities and you're paying for your house and transportation and all of those things. I mean, it can cross culture across all over the world. It's it's applicable to everyone. So I have kind of a step-by-step thing, how to walk through all those things. Um, The importance of support groups, getting help for yourself, getting help for the patient, um, how to talk to people, what's going online, what's going on, you know, saying like with CaringBridge, is it okay? Or whatever site you end up using that you have over there. Is it okay if I share information about our journey? Because some people are really private and they don't want to share that. But a big part of it is you need that support. They might not feel that they need it, but you need it. And, you know, how you find the fine balance and all of those different things. And then my book goes through like his death and then kind of like just the calamity of errors of funny, not funny things that happened for me too. I worked three part-time jobs to keep my house that I loved, that I thought, you know, he would get better and go back to work. And, you know, just all the different things that kept having happening. I have some really funny stories. So it's not like, oh my gosh, this woman's husband died and it's sad. It's like how she got through this and she came out the other side and she's still super positive. And, you know, I think that it's just really important for people to know that Yes, yes, that is so true because uh, there are a lot of people who have been through this and they're not positive afterwards, you know, because mainly in countries like India, we have a social stigma attached to this thing about, you know, if you have cancer, you're bound to, you know, pass away and it's a bad thing that happened to you. A lot of other things also. So a lot of caregivers, they're not really super, like you said, positive or not so energetic after what happens to them. So I think what you said that you've written in your book about how you went through it. It's not how you went through it. It's how you, how you took it, you know, in a good way into developing it into yourself and inculcating all of that, all of that knowledge and all of that life lessons into your life. And I think it will really help. When yeah. Uh, and like for my, you know, we're, we're different cultures, everything for me, I believe like in a Christian God and I wrote my book that's applicable to anyone any faith, any spiritual, anything, any gender, sexual orientation, you know, I write 
spouse slash significant other. So it's anyone, it's very inclusive. And like, for me, um, you know, I had a lot of people praying and they're, you know, um, I found out from one of my siblings, like, so I had to, after he died, I feel like I had to move on faster than that, than my family and different things, because it was my house, my person, I had to reformat my life. I had to reboot it like a computer. One of my sisters was telling me even a year later, my mom still had a really, and she was one of his primary caregivers, um, that she had a really hard time because she thought all of the prayers would work. And I believe that my older brother, he said, he's 14 years older than me. He said, you know, at the very beginning of Grayson's illness, you can choose to be bitter or better. And I chose to be better. And I believe like God doesn't, I think that thing people say, um, if you've heard it where God doesn't give you anything you can't handle. I think that's not true. (laughs) There's a lot we can't handle. I think that we're more given the grace of how to handle things. Um, so we're given the tools and the, I feel like I, I felt so many times during my journey, like I was just given level upon level upon level of strength that I didn't even know I had. Like, how was I able to keep going and going and going? And to me, that was like the grace of God. But I feel like um, just... So when Grayson relapsed and we were back in the hospital or he got it before he relapsed, he got a fever and we had to go back in just for them to check his immune system. And one of our favorite nurses ran up to me. We hadn't been there in like four or five months. And she's like, you guys are still together. Oh my gosh, you're still together. And I was like, what? Of course we're still together. And she's, she told me that so many people, like 60 or 70% of people get divorced or break up or leave the person that has cancer. And I thought like, how, why, what, you know, would you do that? And even if I were to be like, ah, and leave, I'd get like one exit away on the highway and turn around. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, sometimes you do just want to run away. You do just want to hide under your bed. You don't want to go to the hospital. You don't want to do any of those things. And I think that that's okay. But you have to kind of figure out how to process it. It's okay to say, I hate this. This is not fair. You know, screw this. This is not okay. But then you have to, you know, a phrase we use here is like, put on your big girl pants and tie up your boots and, you know, deal with it. Because you, as I used to say to my late husband, like, you signed up for this field trip. You're on the bus and you can't get off. Like, (laughs) (laughs) We're in this together. And I think that you have to go into it with a mindset of um, we're going to get through this and you're going to get better. Because if you don't have that, you become a victim. And like when we found out he had to have the bone marrow transplant, um, and I write about this in the book too, that there was only a 19% chance that it would work and he would live. I didn't even tell my parents who were taking care of him that at that time. I didn't tell anyone. Only he and I knew that because there was no other option. We had to do it. That was it. There was no other choice. So we were going to go into it. We were going to go into it with gusto and be excited. And, you know, he's going to beat this. He's going to do this. And until the very end, five days when before he died, when I found out that his body just couldn't do it anymore, then I embraced that. And 
I was oddly very calm. Um, just cause I knew what had to happen. I knew. Um, and I think a really important thing to the cancer process is to know bodies can, you learn so much about the body, the human body bodies can only do so much. Um, and we're only given one and you really have to take care of it. And, um, I, myself, I have, um, irritable bowel syndrome. I have a colon disease. I have migraines. I'm in remission right now, but it's like some days I have really, really bad health days. And I think to myself, well, at least I don't have what I've seen, what I've gone through. But if I had cancer, I would have to go through it. I would do it. Would I like it? No, but you do what you have to do to survive. And the amount of strength that you get and the people that you connect with is an incredible gift that you don't know until you're kind of thrown into it. And I think that that's, that's something like what you were saying, the stigma, we have so much stigma here, um, for mental health. So I work at an insurance company connecting people to, um, counselors, therapists, being able to go see a psychiatrist or medication, you know, anxiety, depression, things like that. One of the biggest clients that I work with, um, I help first responders. So like firefighters, police officers, things like that. People that have gone through all of that. One of the biggest sports organizations here, professional sports organizations. I work with helping all of them. Um, So it's just, people feel like I can't ask for help. It's if I look, if I ask for help, I'm weak. I have weaknesses. It's, you know, I should be able to do all this myself, but there are millions of people that have gone to school like myself to help other people. Um, And I think that we just, we're a joint global culture of wanting to fix things ourselves or not talk about it. And I've gone to therapy. I still do. I've had a couple different therapists now. My great one, she just retired. And I have a new one I started with a few months ago, just via telehealth because COVID. And, you know, I love it because I can just roll out of bed and, um, you know, brush my hair and video her on a Saturday. But, (laughs) But I think that getting that support, being able to talk to someone, knowing that you're not alone, whether you're the caregiver or the patient. and just being able to say, I do need to reach out. I do need help. I need to read books like Wife, Widow, Now What? I need to know I'm not alone in these stories is so helpful. And it's not always easy to get there, but being able to do that and know, yeah, you know what? There really are a lot of people that have been here before. Um, I, I can't do this alone. I do need help. That's a really tough pill for people to swallow. But it's one of those things, it's kind of, it's just like air and water and food, you need it. And sometimes I think it's better to get it or think about it or process that you need to do it and be thinking about it than before it's too late and you're burned out and you can't balance work and you can't balance running back and forth to the clinic or the hospital or those things. Um, But yeah, I'm really excited about my book because I feel like I I am an open book, no pun intended, that I put it all out there. The ugliness, the prettiness, the everything, I put it all out there. And I tell you all of it. And I fell on my face so many times, you know, metaphorically. But you just have to keep getting back up. And 
I'm just like so proud and so excited that I went through it. And it, it feels like it was like so long ago. Um, he died seven and a half years ago. He got sick um, almost 10 years ago. And it's still just so fresh there that it's, it's just amazing to know that for better or for worse, it's made me a better person. And I think that, you know, we'll just keep growing as a culture, as a cancer culture of helping people. And then that's pretty special. Yeah. Like you said, everything, it's, it's all in the mind, right? How to the strength and how to cope with this. And also, like you said, there has been a global culture of teaching us how to do certain things on our own rather than asking for help. Mm-hmm. If we ask for help, then we are considered as weak people and not fit enough to survive and all of that. I think that kind of mentality should change and people should reach out more often. Right? I think a lot of problems, mm-hmm. well, a lot of mental problems as we see nowadays, depression and all. I think if people would just reach out and all of this will be, could be solved, I think, with some help, right? Yeah, and I think that like, you know, if you're not depressed and anxious when you have cancer or your significant other has cancer, like something's probably wrong because <laughs> of course you're going to be dra- you're going to be super stressed out and anxious and sad about it because it's not fair. This isn't supposed to happen and it's okay to feel that way. You just need to know how can I get help so I know that I'm not the only one. How can I get help? I went to see someone So he got sick in January. I started seeing a therapist in December and just having that person that I could go see and I could talk to and get it all out. And she had worked with other people that had similar situations. Just knowing that um, I would have that space and that outlet, whether it's you talking to a friend or going to talk to a therapist or a social worker at the hospital or whatever that may be just knowing that you do need that platform to be able to talk to someone because you can't bottle it up inside. And I say this in my book and I feel like it's a ridiculous example, but it's, it's, it's an, it makes it. So like our bodies, we eat and then we have to poop, right? You can't, if you hold in not being able to poop, you get a really bad stomach ache, right? If you hold in not being able to talk to someone about what's going on, you're most likely going to blow up. You're either going to be angry, burst into tears, be sad, be whatever. And you don't want to have that happen in front of a cancer patient that already has a thousand things going on. In my case, Grayson couldn't work anymore. He couldn't mow the lawn. He couldn't shovel the driveway. He was too tired sometimes to, you know, stand at the sink and do the dishes, all of those things. So you don't want to pile more on top of that. You need to be able to have that safe space to talk to someone. Cause if you don't, it will just, I mean, it's not, will it happen? It's going to happen at some point where you just, you're going to blow up. So just being able to have that, talk about that, even just going for a walk with a friend and just saying, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so frustrated or, you know, whatever, whatever that is, getting it out is so important. And I think that um, I'm hoping that as a cancer culture, that's something people embrace more and know that it's normal to feel that way. It's normal to be upset, angry, anxious, depressed, feel like you're the only one going through it. You know, I had a coworker that I didn't, she was, so I was like 28 and she's like 22 and 
it was around Valentine's day and Grayson was still in the hospital and I didn't know whether he was going to live or die if his treatment was working. And she was like, I just don't know if my boyfriend's going to get me the present I want for Valentine's day. And I wanted to like throw something at her and be like, are you kidding me? Like, (laughs) I don't know if my husband's going to die or not, but it's, everyone has things that they're going through that are important to them. And when it's their own level, right. At their own level, yeah. like Yeah, at their own level. And you feel like you're like, I'm the most important thing in the world and this is going on. And yeah, that might be true to your world, but you also need to know how to have it in check and know, you know, they might have that going on. Or, um, you know, when I started the company where I work, someone called in to the person sitting next to me. So I actually met my... Um, this never mind. I don't want to say that. It'll ruin it for the book. I want to keep it. Um, <laughs> but someone at work, they got a call and who they were talking to, the person was super sad because their dog died. And to me, I was like, this was five years ago. So it still had only been two and a half years since my husband died. But I was like, their dog died. My husband died. But to them, that was a huge loss, right? But yeah. it's when you have these things happen, you have to know, yes, it's huge that's going on with you, but other people always have things going on and you just have to be able to kind of prioritize, you know, this is maybe that's the wrong word, but this is where I'm at. Um, they have things they're going through as well. And I need to know how to ask for help. One of my closest friends now um, I was very disappointed and super bummed and sometimes sad that she didn't reach out to me after my late husband died. And it turns out she just didn't know what to say or what to do. And had I asked for, you know, can you come over and go on a walk with me or those different things? A lot of people, especially when you're young, like I was at 31 and my husband had died or, you know, 28 and he's sick. People don't know how to help. So we were talking about that earlier, just, being able to say, you know, Hey, can you check in on me or those things? You know, if you don't have insurance and you can't go to a therapist and you know, you can't do those things, just have like a buddy you can talk to someone you can check in with someone, you know, I think that that's very doable. Um, your support system person to be able to say, you know, can you just text me, you know, every couple of days and make sure I'm okay. Or just tell me you love me or tell me, you, you know, those types of things um, are good things to ask for because you just feel like, you know, if I'm in a clinic and I'm sitting there and I'm worried or I'm bored and I'd rather be anywhere else in the world than here, if I can get this text on my phone and just feel supported, that's, that's going to help. You're going to feel yeah. to know that there's someone out there who will understand who's understanding what you're going through. And yeah. So that, yeah. So if you talk to them, then they know how to help you. Otherwise, it's the same. Yeah, right? yeah. And I had people where I was like, I need you to text me. I need you to call me. I need like, you know, and I'm sure it's different culturally, maybe, but I, you know, invited myself, hey, can I come over for dinner? Or, you know, <laughs> those types of things yeah. where because I was all alone in my house, I didn't have children. I actually can't have kids. I had health problems. I couldn't have kids. Um, and so it was just me and my dog and my two cats. And it was, 
you know, it's, they're great, but it's not the same as other people. And you have this whole life you had planned with this other person and they're not there. And, you know, you need to find whatever that type of support is, reach out for it. And it's not easy. And you, you know, sometimes might feel embarrassed to say, Hey, check on me, help me, you know, those things. But if you don't, um, it's, it's just, it's not helpful, um, healing wise or process wise. And, um, you know, we do need that human contact and that human thing. It's very, very hard for COVID, you know, people going through that, of course, right now. And I think, you know, doing zoom meetings and those types of things are so important just to, Um, talk to people or texting or emailing or, you know, even non-COVID times just to have that kind of touchstone to be able to talk to is pretty, pretty important, pretty good. Yes, yes. And so I'd like to ask about uh, when your husband was going through this, so even he was kind of, he was stressed out definitely. So are there any activities or is there something that you did for him to keep his mind off of the uh, pain and all of that thought, you know, about cancer? Yeah. So he did, um, he was a tech guy. So I got an iPad and he, you know, was able to do stuff on there, connect with other people. He actually wrote some of the blog posts for caring bridge, updating people. Um, he was so busy. So he, the clinical trial he was a part of, he had to go like to the clinic, like five times a week for three months, then four times a week for two months. So, I mean, that was kind of his job. He was very busy, but we got, um, like a Wii fit board where we played virtual tennis, doing things like that. Um, every now and then we did walks. He had a lot of neuropathy in his hands and his fingers, um, where your feet are like really heavy and, um, you know, it's, tactile stuff, zip, zipping, buttoning, you know, he felt like he was all thumbs. So that got kind of hard to do things like that after a while. But, um, we always shared a love of music. So listening to music, having different playlists, you know, to listen to during chemo, things like that. Um, playing card games, you know, whatever that might be, um, watching movies, TV, kind of those things where if you don't have a lot of energy, um, we had different people send us DVDs of different TV shows, things like that. Even just in the years since he got sick, the nine years since he got sick, now we have the streaming platforms on TV. We didn't have Netflix or anything like, you know, like that. And you had to wait for your DVD to come in the mail. Um, <laughs> that, yeah. But the time like that. <laughs> yeah. Friends visit when they could. It didn't happen that often because he had such low immunity, but um when he was in the stage of getting better a year later, we went to a young cancer survivors conference in Las Vegas, which was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it was a balance of just, I think, talking about stuff, but then distraction, whether it's, you know, like I was saying, TV, movies, music, things like that, having a fine balance, reading, kind of escaping into those other things. Um, to take your mind off of it, I think is really important. And yeah, yeah. yeah, and he did, he connected with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society here. They had like a young adult chat group online. Um, We went to a support group in person at a hospital once a month, Um, things like that. Just so you're around other people that are like you. I think that that's, that helps you as well. Um, And to me, it was amazing 
Cause there are, there are people there that had had multiple kinds of cancer several times, several transplants, different things like that, where you're like, wow, you know, we're in the beginning and they've been doing this for years and they're successful. I know I can do it if they can do it. Yeah. There's a lot to learn from when you know that there are other people going through this and been through this. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and so as a, as a caregiver, how did you de-stress yourself other than, you know, talking to your friends or like you said, what was your support system? And what did you, yeah. So I actually, um, I went to concerts. I still went to concerts. I'm a big concert girl. Um, haven't been in a long time because of COVID. But in yeah. Minneapolis is actually like a big mecca for music. Um, so I would still go to concerts with friends. And, you know, I I wondered if I'd get judged. Because it was like, ooh, she's going to cancer. Or she's going to concerts while he has cancer. And he's at home or whatever. But I had to have those outlets. Because I needed to be able to do... Um, do something for myself to kind of escape from that and then get back. Yeah, kind so of like reboot, couple, reboot yourself, like you said earlier. Yeah, right? yeah. I did a couple silent retreats. I went to a Buddhist one with monks and, you know, I was meditating and sitting on my little pillow. I talk about that in the book, but then I was so tired from all the caregiving, I kept falling off my pillow and falling asleep on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, yeah, that is one hell of a story. Um, <laughs> so then um I would have lunch with friends or dinner with friends. And I think an important thing is they would meet me at the hospital. If he was in the hospital, they would meet me where I was at. So I didn't have to travel um to that wherever uh, it was close. Um and then yeah, and then uh I would also um so the second year of his illness and a year after he died, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society has a, a training program called Team and Training where you sign up for a marathon, half marathon, biking, um, triathlon, and then and then um, you raise money for blood cancers. So I actually did, starting from like no fitness level at all besides walking every now and then in yoga or something like that. Um, I did my first half marathon walking. So I started here in like negative three degrees in January. And then, so it was every Saturday at seven in the morning and every Wednesday at seven at night for an hour or two. And then, um, I would have support of these people that whether it was their sibling or their parent or their significant other or whatever that may be where while we're training you know to get up your stamina to be able to go these long routes um you're talking about your journey and you're talking about it being together and i found that this group of people that i'm still tightly connected to many of them they were able to listen and share in ways that my family and friends could not um so doing that you know i'm raising money for cancer and i'm also getting healthier and working on that. And because outside of the Wednesday and Saturday, you still had to practice like almost every day walking in your neighborhood or running or whatever race you did. Um, so just being able to be proud of that and, um, you know, it was just all of these positive things in one. And I feel like that was one of the biggest things that I did for myself when he was sick. 
aside from concerts. (laughs) But kind of, you need to normalize things. So I, I have in the book how one time my sister was at the hospital with us and Grayson was, she was across the room and I was on the other side and he was in laying in his hospital bed. He said something kind of snotty, snarky to me and or rude. And, um, that's the other thing is you have to know when your person has cancer and they're going through it on meds, they're probably not always themselves. You can't take it personally what they say. Um, and I said something just as rude back to him. And my sister said, you can't be mean to him. He's sick. And I said, no, actually, you know, we need to be ourselves. And like, as my therapist said, you have to be yourselves. It doesn't matter whether they're sick or they're whatever. Like you, you need to be as normal as possible because you can't baby this person or, I mean, there are times they're really sick. Of course, you're not going to fight or anything like that. And we had an amazing marriage. We hardly ever fought about anything, but you do need to speak up for yourself and you know, yeah, honor of, yourself. Instead of, sympathizing, instead of sympathizing, instead of sympathizing, you need more of an empathy kind of thing and understanding. Yeah. You need to have that empathy. You need to be able to sympathize, but you also need to, I guess the best way I could say is not take crap either. You need to be able to say, you know, I need, we're in one thing we said from the very beginning is we're in this together. We can't afford to argue about anything. This is like, I used to tell him like, this is your full-time job. This is your own personal Afghanistan. You are at war and you have to go in. And we went in with our helmets and our backpacks and everything. And we were comrades and no matter what, like that had to come first. So, um, I think it's just really important for people to know, like, like I was saying before, like, it's okay not to be okay with what's going on, but you have to be a team and you have to be able to make it a positive thing. Because if you can't, you're just going to be a sinking ship. Like you just, you have to, um, know that you're the, you know, especially if you're the significant other caregiver, you're the coach, you're the cheerleader, you're the, you know, in charge of everything. You're the pharmacist, you know, you're helping with everything, meds, laundry, cleaning, cooking, all of it. And yeah, you're going to be tired. And yeah, you're going to wish someone was doing all of that for you as well. But it's it's just what has to happen. So yeah. So finally, what would be the message that you would like to give to other caregivers? Yeah, I would. I would say that um, you know, for better for worse, I wish that my late husband, you know, didn't die. He didn't go through all that pain. But it's really made me a different person. It's made me you know, when he died and I was 31, I felt like the wisdom and the amount of stuff I went through. And still, I feel that way. I'm 38. And I feel like I'm in my fifties or sixties with my mindset sometimes, because you need to know that when you're looking at the world and you see it differently, you have a better appreciation for things. Um, you just have to allow yourself to live in the moment, let the little things go um, will the house always be clean? No. Will the laundry always get done? No. But as long as, you know, you can sleep, you can eat, you can take care of yourself. You can make sure your person gets their meds. They get their, or if it's you, if the patient, you make sure that those things that need to happen, happen and just let the rest go. 
you know, ask for help with those things if you need to, but you really need to live in the moment because it's cheesy as it sounds like every day really is a gift. And, you know, life is, life is short. I just feel like I'm saying all these platitudes and cliches, but life really is short. And you do have to live in that moment because with cancer, it is, it's very scary. The first thing I think when I hear someone has cancer is, oh my gosh, I hope they live. And I hate that that's the way the first thing I think, but it's pretty accurate. Um, yeah, but and- it's not the case today. I think, you know, if it was some uh, 30 or 40 years ago, that yeah. is true. Yeah, I hope he lives. But yeah. right now with the treatment. Uh, yeah, but now, you know, I mean, those are still the thoughts you have. But, and it's okay to have those scary thoughts, but there's so many advancements in medicine and having cancer is so much more doable these days. Um, And I think that it's important for people to know that there have been other people that have been through it. They've done it. They're successful. They've gone on, they're doctors, lawyers, whatever, run marathons, um, that it's a doable thing. Of course, you might be like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid they're going to die. They're not going to make it. That's okay. It's a normal thing to think. But you just need to be in the mind, positive mindset of we're going to make this. We're going to do it. And um, just seek that support. You know, my book, Wife, Widow, Now What on Amazon. It's, I just, I really feel like it's a one, one in a million type thing because there isn't anything out there that's hand holding, telling you my story walking you through the resources of what you need to do, how to tell people to help, all of those things. It's just, it's so helpful. Um, and I really hope, you know, eventually it can get out and help millions of people because I, oh, I so wish I would have had something like that when he was sick and after he died. And I just, I really feel like being a caregiver, you really are a superhero. You are a superhero in ways that people will never understand. You're so brave. You're so courageous. You're going to see things that make you laugh. You're going to see things that make you cry. You're going to see the world in a different way. Life will never go back to normal as far as the way that you see things. And I think that that's a good thing because you're going to be able to have an inside track on, you know, what the human body can and can't do. and what I want to do today to take care of myself, to take care of my person. And wow, there really are a lot of organizations and books and helpful things out there. Just take, I think the biggest takeaway is take advantage of my story, read it, digest it, know that it's there, take advantage of it. You know, I didn't put my contact information there, but I have a wife widow now what, um, uh, webpage on Facebook. I, through that, I also have a support group for anybody that has questions, wants to talk. Um, you know, my wife widow now, what is not about death or it's not about, you know, it's about the knowledge I've gained and how I can help people. And I think that, um, we had a cartoon here in the seventies called schoolhouse rocks. And it was like, knowledge is power. And I mean, it it really is knowledge is power and knowing that, um, just other people have been there. You're not alone and it's a doable thing. Is it going to be easy while you're going through it? No, but millions of people like myself have done it and, you know, 
just take advantage of reading our stories and those resources and finding what's out there because it's pretty cool when you have that support and you have people to connect to. It really does change your life and it really is meaningful um, and it's more purposeful, I believe. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, yeah people yeah, will find that uh, like a support system. It can turn out to be their support system to your book, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm more than happy to, you know, if anybody has questions or they want to reach out to me, please go to Wife Widow Now What on Facebook. Um, find me or I'm on Instagram. But I would love to talk to anybody if they have questions or whatever that may be. Um, if you ended up wanting to do some sort of a Zoom thing with, you know, your clientele or whatever that is, I would love to help because I'm totally an open book and I've I've been there. I've done that. And it was so hard. And I, I'm just glad that I have this resource out there to help people because they're not alone. And it's just wonderful to know that there are resources like the book that I have to help people and that there are organizations like yours to be able to help people. I mean, love does heal cancer. It really does. Does it necessarily, does it necessarily mean that your person's like mine, you know, he didn't make it, but in the process, he helped so many people. He actually donated his body to the University of Minnesota. He did extra tests. He was in a clinical trial. Like all of these advancements that we're making hopefully will lead to a world without cancer one day. And I think that every person's journey is so important. It's so, um, it's your journey, only your journey. No one else will have a journey like that. And being able to talk about it and share it and just know that there's support out there is just the most important thing. Yes, that is truly said. To know that there are people who can help you, who will help you and who will put in the time to make yeah. you feel. Yeah. So, so thank you, Rachel. I think that's it. I won't take any more of your time. And oh, no, that's was, okay. It was great really, talking <laughs> to you today. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was great talking to you too. I mean, I could really understand a lot of things from the caregiver side and how you said that how support system and how community is very important when it comes to fighting cancer Yeah. as a patient or as a caregiver. Yeah, so, yeah. Thank you, and I hope you have a wonderful day there. And Thank you. Have a yeah. good day. Take care. Yeah, thank you. Yes, Bye. you too.